Well, hello, everybody. It's Stuart. Welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care and community pharmacy practice. If you're not already a member of iFormerX, it's easy to join and it's free to health professionals. Just visit our website, iFormerX.org, and click on the join or sign in link, which is in the upper right of the navigation bar. And if you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate us on your favorite podcast app and then tell all your colleagues and residents and students to subscribe. Many of us are aware that some patients are reluctant to take statin therapy. And in some cases, they've heard lots of negative things from their friends and neighbors, or, or they've read something on the internet. In other cases, they generally prefer, quote, natural remedies and don't like the idea of taking anything synthetic or man-made. So for these reasons, there's lots of interest in herbal remedies and dietary supplements that can lower cholesterol. And there are a number of natural products which have been touted as potential alternatives to statins for the treatment of dyslipidemia. Red yeast rice immediately comes to my mind, but spices like cinnamon and turmeric as well as fish oil capsules have been lauded as great ways to lower your cholesterol. And while they may indeed lower LDL cholesterol and and perhaps triglycerides, do they really work as well as statin therapy? Well, that's a question that the recently published SPORT, or Supplements, Placebo, or Rasuvastatin study, attempted to answer. And here today to discuss the sports study with me are Dr. Lindsay Pitt, Dr. Caitlin Phillips, and Dr. Anna Love from the University of Tennessee Medical Center in Knoxville. Dr. Pitt and Dr. Phillips are PGY2 ambulatory care pharmacy residents, and Dr. Love is a clinical pharmacy specialist who provides direct patient care in the University Health Network, and she's a preceptor to residents and students. Anna recently joined our editorial advisory board, and she's played a key role in organizing the recent podcast series that we've produced with the ACCP Amcare PRN. So, Lindsay, Caitlin, Anna, it's great to have all of you here on the iFormerX podcast today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I've been an iFormerX member since my P4 year. Happy to be here, Stuart. So, Lindsay, let's start by talking about dietary supplements or so-called natural remedies that have been promoted as ways to lower your cholesterol. I know there have been a few studies published over the years that have documented some positive effects, but many of these studies aren't terribly well designed, and, and we know that there is a placebo effect, even in randomized clinical trials, that might explain some of the reductions in LDL cholesterol seen in some of these studies. So my questions are, one, what dietary supplements and herbal products are most commonly touted to have cholesterol-lowering effects? And two, of these, which one of these have the most rigorous data to actually support their use? Healthcare professionals have, for a long time, been concerned about natural supplements. And that's largely due to the lack of safety and efficacy regulations, which, like you mentioned, is in contrast to patient belief that supplements are safer than prescription alternatives. 
In fact, the majority of patients actually believe supplements are just as effective or more effective than statins. The most common reason for a patient's discontinuation or refusal of statin therapy is statin-induced muscular symptoms. Analysis of cardiac outcomes trials that studied statin therapy found that there was no significant increase in statin-related muscular symptoms in the blinded phase of the trial, but there was an increased incidence of myalgia during the open-label phase of the trial. The concept of a patient's awareness of an adverse effect leading to an expectation of negative outcomes is termed the nocebo effect. So given this wide gap in patient beliefs compared with standards of clinical practice, the SPORT trial comes in to the rescue by giving practitioners robust data on common supplements that patients use in place of statin therapy. Looking back at the data that was already available before the trial took place, plant sterols and red yeast rice both have meta-analysis studies that indicate a 12 and 18 point reduction in LDL respectively. Simon, garlic, and turmeric all had meta-analyses that were conducted and indicated there was no statistically significant reduction in LDL. Fish oil does have a clinically significant reduction in triglyceride levels, but no statistically significant impact on total cholesterol, HDL, or LDL. So to answer your question, red yeast rice and plant sterols are the two supplementations that I believe have the best data going into this trial. So Caitlin, let's take a look at the sport study. The study was published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, or affectionately known as JAC, and its official title is Comparative Effects of Low-Dose Resuvastatin, Placebo, and Dietary Supplements on Lipids and Inflammatory Markers. Now, we provide a link to the original paper on our website, but I'm hoping you can give us a short summary of the study methods and the key findings. Yes, yeah, so this trial evaluated resuvastatin 5 milligrams daily, which we know is moderate intensity, against placebo and 6, I would consider common supplement that patients would take for cholesterol. These were fish oil, cinnamon, garlic, turmeric, plant sterols, and red yeast rice. It's interesting that the study had both active and placebo controls in this regard. All patients were in a statin benefit or patient management group, if you consider the new published guidelines, aged 40 to 75 years old, primary prevention, with an LDL between 70 to 189 milligrams per deciliter, and a 10-year ASCVD risk between 5 to 20 percent. According to the baseline characteristics, the average patient was a 65-year-old white, non-Hispanic woman with an LDL around 130 milligrams per deciliter. There were 199 patients analyzed, and there were no statistically significant differences noted in the baseline demographics. The primary endpoint was the percent change in LDL-C for resuvastatin at that 5 milligrams daily compared with all the other agents in a hierarchical order. 
And they did a hierarchical order in the order that I mentioned the supplements to reduce the risk of a top one error. Since we have eight patient groups, we want to make sure that our alpha is not getting too large. And they analyzed this with ANCOVA testing. Overall, for the primary endpoint, Resuvastatin demonstrated a statistically greater percent reduction in LDLC from baseline compared to all other agents or placebo. One interesting finding of note is that garlic actually showed a statistically significant increase in LDLC from baseline compared to placebo. The secondary endpoints evaluated were the percent change in some other biomarkers, such as high sensitivity C reactive protein. HDL, total cholesterol, and triglycerides. Here, resuvastatin also showed statistically greater reductions in total cholesterol and serum triglycerides from baseline compared to any other agent or placebo. Interestingly, there was no difference in HDL between resuvastatin and all but one supplement, and actually plant sterols showed a statistically significant decrease in HDL compared to resuvastatin. I think that's an interesting finding because we definitely associate statins with uh, an increase in HDLC. There was no statistically significant difference in the high sensitivity C-reactive protein with any agent. So Anna, the the sport study was randomized. It was prospective and placebo controlled. So it's got all the right elements, but there were only 190 participants in this study, and there are eight treatment groups. So the number of participants in each group is actually relatively small. So I'm wondering what you perceive to be the strengths and weakness aside from the small sample size. And and are there any confounders that you believe may have impacted the results? Yes, Stuart, like you mentioned, the small sample size is definitely a weakness of this trial. However, when the investigators did power analysis, it was powered to detect a 15% change in LDL given all the subgroups. I think one of the main strengths of this trial is just its design and that it did test common supplements that patients used for lipid lowering effect. We also think that one of the major strengths was that they went through the trouble of doing a new drug application with the FDA so they could study these herbal medications and supplements. So this study, given that it looked at very commonly used supplements is going to equip us with the data that we need to steer our patients to more evidence-based therapies for their cardiovascular health. This study also used a novel method of recruiting patients. So they recruited patients through the electronic health record by messaging them in the patient portal, which we thought was a very novel approach. I have not seen that used in a trial to date. So hopefully we will see that as a really common method of recruiting patients in the future. They did find that the adherence rates were also excellent, which is a pro for this trial, but also could be a con because it did seem less than real world in terms of their adherence rates. They also did hierarchical testing to control for a type 1 error. So that was a crucial part of the study, and we think that they got that part of the design very right. So. For more limitations, we already discussed the sample size. It was a small duration, only 28 days. We know the guidelines recommend redrawing lipid panels four to 12 weeks after starting therapy. So they picked the very end of that range at four weeks. 
Since there has been some question to the durability of the lipid-lowering effect of some supplements, and then just seeing if they had more effect as time went on, we thought 12 weeks would have been a better marker to provide more insight or even longer. They also didn't discuss other patient factors that could have confounded the results, like other cholesterol agents, if they improved their diet or exercise, or had any type of counseling in that regard. Baseline characteristics also showed that 90% of the patients were white, which definitely affects the external validity, and it does show that it was a single center. So this trial could have been strengthened if it was a multi-center design. While there were pros and cons of this study, overall, I think the study will add to clinicians making better choices in helping with patient education. So I think the study clearly demonstrates that herbal products, natural remedies, nutraceuticals, or whatever term that you'd like to use to describe these over-the-counter products are simply no match for a potent statin like rosuvastatin in terms of LDL lowering. So do you think any of these products have a role in the treatment of dyslipidemia? Or would you be actively dissuading patients from using them and if so, how would you approach that conversation? I think that is truly the central question that this trial was hoping to answer. I believe it truly depends on the patient. There are so many patient-specific factors that would go into this decision. Most supplements are not likely to cause harm, but we do have to consider potential hepatotoxicity, things like bleeding risk if a patient was on an anticoagulant, Patient financial burden is probably one of the most important considerations for me. We see many patients with limited finances in our practice, so often counsel on cost versus benefit with supplements in general. I don't want a patient to spend their last dollar on a supplement, especially from this trial. We don't have evidence that it works. I also think it's important to note there that statins are usually free on insurance and will not cause financial barriers to patients. The study itself has a central figure that is an excellent graphic that I think shows the limitations of dietary supplements compared to statin therapy in a very visual way that I think is very understandable for patients. Not only does it state that rosuvastatin decreased LDL, total cholesterol, and serum triglycerides statistically significantly more than placebo, but it's accompanied with a nice visual aid. Using this as a practice tool combined with motivational interviewing techniques would be really helpful when you're discussing statin therapy with a patient, particularly if they're a little bit more hesitant or have been hesitant in the past with initiating this therapy and have thought about using supplementation in its place. This will also be very important for patients that do fall into that statin benefit group. We, of course, believe that patients deserve to have an active role in decision-making with their health. So we are optimistic and think that the results of this trial can help us with the informed decision-making process and can help clinicians educate patients on the limitations of dietary supplements that they may be considering. Well, hey, Anna. Caitlin, Lindsay, thanks so much for being here today and recording this podcast with me and for writing the commentary. I encourage our audience to, to read the commentary and the original study, The Use of Natural Products to Treat Diseases by Our Patients, for which we have far more effective and proven therapies available 
I think is a vexing problem. Uh, on one hand, we need to respect the wishes and beliefs of our patients. Indeed, every medication has a built-in placebo effect, which is part of its healing power. On the other hand, we want to make certain our patients are receiving a proven treatment, one that can deliver a proven benefit and is worth the money. So how do we inform patients about treatments we believe are better alternatives without minimizing or dismissing their preferences and beliefs? Let us know how you approach these difficult conversations by posting a comment on iFormerX. And just head on over to iFormerX.org and sign in. Only members of iFormerX can leave comments and use the interactive features, so sign up today. And if you're a board-certified pharmacist and you want to earn board recertification and continuing education credit for listening to this podcast and reading the written commentary, well, you can. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to create the Literature Evaluation Evidence-Based Practice Series, which is part of their board prep and recertification program. To learn more, just click on the link, which is posted below the written commentary on our website. And lastly, I want to thank the clinical scientists around the globe who will conduct the studies and generate the evidence that informs our practice. Having participated as an investigator in a few clinical research studies over the years, I know that investigator-initiated interventional studies, like the sports study, are incredibly challenging to conduct, and they are often underfunded or unfunded. So it's a labor of love. Yes, the work can be incredibly rewarding, but it, it requires long hours. And as every investigator knows, there will be frustrations, roadblocks, and unexpected setbacks along the way. So I extend my sincerest thanks to all the people, the investigators, the support staff, and the study participants who make evidence-based practice possible. Well, until next time. This is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off.